Amen. And please give your attention to God's word. Our text is Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Hear the word of God. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. May the Lord bless this reading of his word. We give him praise for it. Amen. And so it was extraordinary. Those disciples saw things that they never could have imagined would have taken place in their view or in the view of anyone else. The sick had been healed. The dead had been raised to life. A tremendous storm on the Sea of Galilee, not like un unlike a hurricane that may have stormed onto the scene, was calmed and still just by his voice. They had seen him feed a multitude with just a handful of items of food, and yet thousands were fed and 12 baskets were left over. It was extraordinary. They themselves had been sent out to perform miracles as they were empowered by him. It must have been an extraordinary thing, and they must have been thinking, wow, there surely is no limit to what we can achieve. And yet the Lord Jesus breaks into all of that and he foretells the fact that rather than being placed in a position of exaltation, rather than coming into a great kingdom as they would have perceived it, no, rather the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's not the script that Hollywood would have written. And then he follows it up by saying, look, if you think by following me, you're going to experience glory and riches and fame and fortune. Let me tell you, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We wear crosses as adorning jewelry. We place them on walls as decorations. And yet in the first century, a cross was a hideous thing to take up a cross carried with it the idea and connotation that was absolutely inescapable. It meant a humiliating death. It meant a torturous death. It would be like wearing around an electric chair or some symbol of a lethal injection or a guillotine around your neck. No, the cross was a symbol of suffering and of death and the worst kind. So if you follow me, that's what you're called upon to take up daily. Don't think of glory and riches as this world might have you think about those things, but rather following me means being held up in derision, being made fun of, mocked and ridiculed as I will be. It is difficult for us to grasp. You see, self-denial is the first step and an ongoing process in the life and the follower of Christ. It is what we begin to do. We deny self when we trust in Christ. It's not a long-term goal that we seek to achieve. It's what we must do now. If we are to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't miss words. Jesus 
proclaims this clearly, lest there be any mistake about it. And Paul, I think, expounds on this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. But whatever gain I had, as he, remember, was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he himself was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was counted among the religious. People would have looked at Paul or Saul, as he was known, from Tarsus. And they would have said, that man, surely if anyone's going to heaven, he would go. And yet he said, all of those things that I achieved, all the things that I would be known for, whatever would have been seen as gain in my life, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ because he knew following Jesus meant to leave all of that behind. Verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word there is dung. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, so much for Jesus just being another self-help method, a means of achieving the dreams and aspirations of my heart. No, to follow Christ means leaving behind those things that I otherwise would want for myself in terms of whatever it may be, that I may have him. Sometimes I think we've made a mistake in evangelism, and please bear with me. I don't want you to report me to Presbytery so that I'll be tried for some sort of heresy as we, as we talk to people about wanting to go to heaven when they die, when we die. Surely we all want to go to heaven. And it's almost as if, yes, I want heaven, and in order to get there, I have to have Jesus, and that's true. But the real essence of the Christian life is not that I get to go to heaven, it's that I get to have Christ. And in having Christ... Heaven is thrown in. That's what I want you to get. And that's what Jesus wants us to get. So it means giving up those things that otherwise would be ours that would enrich us, that would give us perhaps some sort of passing temporary joy and satisfaction. Giving up all of that in order that we might have the real thing that lasts for all eternity. And again, he doesn't mince words. You know, if you would save your life, if you would want to hang on to the things that you now have, you're going to lose that. You're going to lose that life. You're trying to hold on to something permanently that was always intended to be temporary. But whoever would lose that for my sake will save it. It is in losing the life that this world offers that we ultimately gain life that endures. As Jim Elliott, the missionary who was martyred for the cause of Christ, said, He is no fool who will give up that which he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. And so Jesus makes this clear. Following him means taking up the cross daily. As William Hendrickson in his commentary on Luke says, The underlying figure is that of a condemned man who is forced to take up and carry his own cross to the place of execution. We all remember how that Jesus, after he had had to endure that mock trial, 
that fakery of justice. How that he was forced to carry his cross down the Via Dolorosa all the way outside of town to the place called Golgotha, needing help, of course, because as he stumbled, Simon of Cyrene was called upon to carry it for him. But nevertheless, condemned criminals were called upon, forced to carry their crosses. However, what the convict does under duress, the disciple of Christ does willingly. Not having it forced upon us, but rather we embrace it. Taking upon ourselves, even as the Lord Jesus, who willingly laid down his life for us, we also willingly take up this very symbol of death and suffering upon ourselves. He voluntarily and decisively accepts the pain, shame, and persecution that is going to be his in particular. Note his, ours, not someone else's. Because of our loyalty to Christ and his cause. And so it is the cross that is at the center of our lives. We are called upon to live a cross-centered life. And you, you say, well, you know, I want to talk about the resurrection. This is the first day of the week. We think of the resurrection. There can be no resurrection apart from the suffering and death of Christ. There is only a resurrection because there was, first of all, a cross. So even as we proclaim the resurrection, we are by implication proclaiming the death of the Lord Jesus. In order to be resurrected, he first of all had to die. And it is that death of Christ that is at the center of our lives. It's why we celebrate this supper today. Is it not the words of the Lord Jesus, you proclaim my death until I come? And so we live as those who have the cross at the center of our lives, not merely hanging around our necks or upon our walls. It is that which we are called to live, knowing that what profit is there if we were to gain everything? If we had all the riches that this world had to offer and yet lose our own soul, what benefit would that be? I'm impressed as I talk with people who are older, whether over 100 years old or over 90 years old, and invariably at some point in the conversation it comes up. The person says, I just can't believe how quickly time has gone by. Or as one man said to me one time, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Life is fleeting. It goes by so quickly. So what is it really? If you had all of the things that the world has to offer and yet at death, it all comes to an end. And there is humiliation and ignominy for those who would trust in those things. What profit is there really to get all of that and lose it and even life itself? There's no gain in it at all. He makes clear, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. World War II, or at least in the beginning of it for this country, as our naval forces were attacked in Pearl Harbor on the 7th of December 1941, the very next day, Franklin Roosevelt, President of the United States, stood before the United States Congress and asked for a declaration of war. And he spoke at the end words that he hoped would inspire, and surely they did, saying that we would press on to the inevitable victory for, for, for the believer. We know that Christ's exaltation is inevitable. No matter what the skeptics may say, regardless of what lies may be told in media, print, or otherwise about Jesus and who they say he is not, 
His triumph is inevitable. His exaltation is inevitable. And that means vindication for those who are his own and humiliation for all others. It is absolutely certain and inescapable. In Matthew chapter 25, the Lord Jesus speaks of this. He says, when the Son of Man, note, not if, but when, the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's our hope. You see, in having Christ, we gain everything. We will have this moment of vindication in which all of the riches and the inheritance of heaven will be bequeathed to us and we'll realize it in certainty. But then... Having spoken of that down in verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That ultimate in humiliation for those who would choose to live in unbelief and in disregard and disbelief of God the Son. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteousness into eternal life. It's absolutely certain. And you know, there's nothing that delights the believer more in considering the exaltation of Christ and knowing that he will be before all nations and all nations will bow before him. It means we're not at the center of the story. It means that we're not the end all of things, that Christ is. And as our lives are united with him, so that every day as we make decisions, as we every day deliberately decide to take up the cross and follow him and deny self, it means that Christ is at the center of our lives. It means that he is the Lord and Savior. It means that he is the King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the hero. And we delight ourselves in serving him and being among those who would crown him with many crowns, that lamb upon the throne. Yes, it means looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so these aren't mere concepts. I'm not trying to speak to you merely in the abstract because you wonder, okay, well, what does that mean for me in my day-to-day living? It means that you begin every day with a clear and certain understanding that Jesus is the greatest of all realities. That my life, inasmuch as I would live it here and now, successfully in the eyes of God, means living in submission to Christ and in exaltation of Him. Forsaking sin, the world, anything and everything that would keep me from Him. And it means if I have to be subjected to ridicule and derision, people looking at me and saying, you don't really believe that, do you? And saying, yes, I believe that. Say of me what you will. Talk about me behind my back. Think I'm a fool. I would rather be a fool for Christ than to be counted wise in the eyes of the world and in the end denied by Him. But to be known by Him, to be one who has trusted in Him and one that would be counted as His own, 
I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The realization of this kingdom, as Christ would be raised from the dead, as he would ascend and be enthroned in glory, as the Holy Spirit would come in power in the kingdom of God, and the word concerning it went forth as people could not have predicted to see testimony born concerning the Lord Christ throughout each decade. I was home to see my parents this past week. And hadn't been there since early June. I'm sore. I'm in pain standing up here. I used a chainsaw and I was driving the tractor and I was bush hogging. And I hadn't done those things. I've, I've got some muscles that I haven't used in a while. And I was out there in the pasture. You know, my, my great-great-grandfather bought that property in the mid-1880s and built a log house on it. And then he eventually built around it. And that old house is still standing there. And I was out there on the tractor the first night. We were there on Monday evening before I broke the shear bolt and it shut everything down and I had to make a repair the next day. There's just a little ridge in the middle of that pasture. It goes right by the one apple tree that's still standing there. We used to have many. Just a little hump and it goes right around the ridge. And I know because Papa told me that was the old pathway. and That was the old roadway that folks used to take a hundred years ago back when George Plot was developing the Plot Hound, the state dog of North Carolina, back when old John Snyder would stagger half drunk from head of Hyatt Creek into town so that he could get another bottle. I, I know that he walked right around that pathway, probably weaving. And I looked at that and I, I thought, my kids don't know about that roadway. They just think that's a hump there in the middle. I can remember those stories and I was thinking about that and I thought, but you know, that's all past. I thought about a little kid after school as he would come home having ridden the bus and getting off at the forks of the road and having to walk 10 minutes because I could get home 20 minutes faster by riding that bus than I could the one that drove closer. That's how much I wanted to be away from school and with my papa. Whatever it took. Lying there in the grass looking up at the sky, thinking about what a beautiful world this is that God has created. But all of that's past. And there's so much more to look forward to. The stories we know, the experiences that we've had, the life that we've lived, what is any of that compared to what we have in Christ? So what is this temporary suffering, this cross we are called to carry, in comparison to what we ultimately will realize when Christ's kingdom comes in his fullness. And how can we do anything else but proclaim his death until he comes because he endured so much more for our sakes. He gave up so much more than we ever will be called to. So whatever it is we must give up, relinquish it and let it go. Embrace the cross and take it up and follow Jesus. That's the pathway to glory. And one day, as we're together, proclaiming that old, old story of Jesus and his love, you know something? Whatever else heaven will be filled with, love, grace, the wonders of heaven, there will not be one regret.
bless his name. Let's pray. Father in heaven, grant to us, O God, that we may know Christ in his crucifixion, in his resurrection, in his exaltation. Lord, bless that all the things of life that would crowd in and distract us and attract us. Grant us grace, O God, that we may give up all in order to follow Jesus. Lord, give us eyes to see the wonders of your Son. And Lord, give us grateful hearts that inasmuch as we have received him, and insofar as we stand in awe and wonder of how you could ever save a sinner like any one of us, to know that Jesus is our all in all, and that whatever the answer to that question is, it is found in him, the one who loves us and the one who tells us the truth, who didn't mince words, who didn't sell us on something that he was unable to deliver, but he has promised us something that he has absolutely secured and that is ours forever. Bless us, O oh God, that we may see and trust in your beloved Son. And in partaking of this supper just now, may he be at the center of it all, For we pray in his name.